Welcome to the Payers and Players Podcast, Episode 21. I'm Robert. And I'm Scott. This is a podcast where we discuss trends in junior development and review local college and non-ATP tennis events. We also invite the audience to share our experience raising competitive junior tennis players in the USA. We'll discuss the highs and lows of being a payer as we watch our players. Please take a moment to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, the handle is Payers Players, and also you can email us at payersandplayers at gmail.com. Lastly, we'll take a moment. Um, we'd appreciate it if you give us a rating, ratings on iTunes. Five stars is what we're looking for. One of the things we're interested in at the Payers and Players podcast is review Junior Tennis Academy. If you run or work at a tennis academy and would like for our boys to come for a week and then do a podcast with us to draw attention to your academy, please contact us. Also, if you're interested in advertising with us, please shoot us an email and we'll be happy to talk to you. So today we're really excited. We've got a, a guest that we've heard on uh, other podcasts and um, we wanted to get him onto our podcast for a real specific discussion. So today we've got Todd Whittem. Uh, Todd is a talented junior development coach in South Florida. His background is he was number one ranked USTA junior in the 18 and under age division. He was also a two-time All-American at the University of Miami, and he played on the professional tour. So, hey, Todd, so uh, the first question I've got is is on a lot of the other podcasts, and, and, and one of them, the great uh, Lisa Stone in her Parenting Aces podcast, which I've heard you in a lot, love her podcast but one of the things you talk a lot about is your system um wondering if you can describe in great detail exactly what you would define as your system kind of what does that look like what do you mean when you say that sure um well as i've spoken about maybe in, in previous articles and with lisa stone on her show um i don't do the cookie cutter mold so when someone calls me and, and asks me about todd Whitham tennis academy i stop them right there and i tell them that this is not a tennis academy. And and so what does it mean when it's Todd Whittem's tennis system? So basically I started I started my, my system private coaching in, in two thousand ten with one kid and I slowly built it up and, and the kids started to have very good results. They went to some of the best universities. They played very high in their lineups. And um and really what, what it turned into is a very, very small system where I'm putting my my effort into these select kids on a daily basis for about four or five hours. Um, so when you say select kids, how many do you train at any one time? Sure. So right now I have 10 full-time kids for this summer right now. And, uh, and how many adults are serving those those 10 kids? You and who else? So it's me and it's also the coach that trained me for 20 years who's been one of the most well-respected coaches in South Florida for about 35 years. So he um yeah. I'm very fortunate to have him. He he does my he does most of my traveling as well and uh he was basically a fatherhood figure for me uh growing up. And uh and so you know I I grew up from, from when I was 6 years old I I started working with with this man I'm telling you about Pierre Arnold. And uh, he took me all the way from a beginner tennis player. And it was basically him and his partner. Unfortunately, his partner passed away, and he was a very, very well-respected coach as well. And, and these, these guys were, were training kids that, that could be beginners, like I was at six years old, all the way to the top ATP professionals. 
So it was it was a very it was a very special time. Sorry for the brief interruption. Hey Scott, you got one of them Twitter or Instagram or uh, Face Snapchat things? <laughs> I got Twitters and Instagram. <laughs> well, so does the Payers and Players podcast. So really? any of the fans out there, yeah, you know, if any of the fans out there would like to follow us, our handle is at Payers Player. I'll check it hey, out. And Scott, what if what if I wanted to send the Payers and Players podcast an email? How would I do that? Do you have an email address? I have one, but do, do they? I mean, how in the world do I contact them? I'm guessing you'd probably... Do it at Payers and Players and a, probably Gmail. It, it, I bet they're Gmail guys. So I bet Payers and Players at gmail.com will be the address. Payers and Players at gmail.com. Hey, and, and, you know, they barely have any ratings on iTunes. I guess we shouldn't give them a rating either, should we? We should. I think so too. So I bet they'd appreciate that. Rating, giving a five star rating on iTunes. So it, it, was, it was a very special time. Um, I was around very high-level players, very high-level ATP professionals from when I was hitting my first balls at, at six and seven years old. Um, so, so basically, I brought in my, my longtime coach of, of, of 20 years, Pierre Arnold, to have a coach that could take you from a beginner all the way to the ATP tour is, is very special. And it was basically... Tell me this, part- Todd. Yeah. Well, and tell me this is what how rare do you think it is to have a coach who can actually start a six year old five year old six year old seven year old and carry him all the way through to the end? Do you think that's common or in what you've seen and in, in your experience, do you think that's very rare? I think it's extremely rare. I think if you find someone that can do that then then you've hit the jackpot like I did, and i saw it I saw it from when I was with these guys. They were taking beginners and they were taking ATP professionals and taking them to much higher levels of tennis and teaching you all the way through, which is incredibly rare. Um, I don't know many, I don't have many coaches that can actually do that. I did training with James Blake. I know that he was with his coach, Brian Barker from, you know, basically kind of the same story as, as, as mine from when we were, when we were youngsters all the way through to when he retired from the ATP tour. So, but I'm telling you that it's extremely rare, and I knew right away that these guys were the guys, and and and, and that's that's why I stuck with my whole tennis career. There was really no questions about it. And uh, if if parents and children can find those very very few special individuals that can do that, then you don't change. Right. Yeah, I agree. Right. So tell me this is yeah. on a standard. Go ahead, Scott. Well, I was just going to ask. You know, on. The last podcast you did with Lisa, you mentioned, you know, that your coach, um, I guess you worked with Jay Berger when Jay Berger was a top 10 player in the world and you're, you know, on the courts next to them. Is, is that how that looked? I mean, how did that, did I get that right? And if so, what did that sort of um, setup look like? Well, um, Jay was hitting in my lessons. Jay was top 10 in the world and Jay was hitting in my lessons when I was six or seven years old. So I had, I remember at that time I had two half hour lessons a week, plus there were some clinics. And, um, and when Jay was in town, the coaches, Pierre and his partner, George Paris, they, they knew that I could be a special player one day. And, uh, and so I'd watch Jay in his workouts, probably two hour workouts. And, uh, and then I'd take a half hour lesson right after 
a guy that I saw on TV playing the biggest tournaments in the world and he was hitting in my lessons. So you can only imagine the excitement and, and how amazing that opportunity was. And, and I had loved tennis. And, and so for me, it was just an incredible environment. And it wasn't only just Jay being there. It was every court. The system that they had put together was just such a high quality of tennis training that you saw phenomenal players all the time. And so that, that really just, you know, made, made the excitement to go train every single day just at, at an absolute premium. Right. All right. So do this for me if you don't care. Is is walk us through a standard week where the player's not going to play a tournament that weekend. Just walk us through what Monday looks like. And when I say walk us through what Monday looks like, like the fitness, the injury prevention, what is what is the player and the coach doing on Monday through through Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Walk us through a standard non-tournament week. Sure, sure. So, uh, like I've said, I said, I run a very small system. So the kids that, that I'm training on a daily basis, as well as Pierre, these kids have been selected, and these are the ones that we want to spend our four or five hours a day with. Um, so a, a normal day for us is is the kids, they, sh- they show up at 9.15 in the morning, and uh, and we go through about a 15-minute warm-up. And the warm-up... Uh, is is basically there's a lot of agility, a lot of balance, a lot of a lot of dynamic stretching. Um, the kids are going through a whole shoulder circuit to make sure that their shoulders are uh, are, are healthy. Um, then uh, then they may jump rope, but all in all, it takes about 15 minutes, and they're in a full sweat. This is not kids. This is not about kids that are just gathering around, goofing off, and uh, just just waiting for me to start a workout with them. These kids are serious. They know the program, and so we go through it every single day. The same exercises every single day, and we make sure that that they're done properly. And uh, and so that's the warm. We go for about fifteen minutes. So about from nine fifteen to nine thirty, um, right. we go and we, we have the warm up. And then nine thirty, we hit the first ball. Now, these, these kids are working quite hard, so many times we actually start with serves, um, which, which may be a little bit different than many other places. So, And the reason that we start with, with serving is that by the time that the, that the kids may serve towards the end of the session, they're really tired. So when, when they're tired, they, they may get a little sloppy with their serve. They may not be pushing and jumping into their serves. And, and so a lot of times we start with the serves. So... We, we start with our serving. We have cones. There's specific things that each and every kid is working on. And then we go right into competing, trying to hit cones with our serves. Many, right. many, many things that, that I'm doing and Pierre, Pierre is doing on a daily basis involves competing, not just drilling and, uh, and just having a nice little fun time out there. These kids are competing against each other all day long. It's a very, you know, it's a highly competitive environment. So we, we may serve for about 20 or 30 minutes. Now, my, my normal day is 9.15 warm-up, 9.30 to 11.30. The kids are, are working on their games. Then they take a couple hours off. They come back at 1.45. Um, they warm up from 1.45 to 2 o'clock with the same exact warm-up as they did in the morning. And then we go right. from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock. Again, tennis training, and then four o'clock to five o'clock is is physical training. But since 
weather could be an issue in South Florida, I've actually been doing a long session uh, just to try to beat the rain. So, and, and this is really just for the summer. But in terms of preparing a preparing a kid, well, you want to know a week where they're not going to have a tournament on, on the weekend. So basically, when we do a long session, it goes for about four hours. So the four-hour session is we, you know, we have the warm-up. Like I explained, then we'll start with the serving. That could be about another 20 or 30 minutes. And also keep in mind the most important shot in tennis is the serve. The second most important shot in tennis is the return of serve. And I right. keep seeing over, I keep seeing over and over again how many, many times kids are coming through my door and they're and they're not working on these shots, which which to me is absolutely ridiculous. So anyway, so we start with the serving and they're competing and, and those types of things. Then we then we break away and we and we start and we start training. So the training, as as, as I've said in any of the articles that I've written and, and and the other podcasts that I've done, is that this is not a cookie cutter mold. And what I mean by that is each and every kid is working on the things that they need to work on. It could be technically, right. it it could be physically, and we are constantly on top of these kids. And it's these select ten kids that we want to be with. So we may have a two-on-one court going and we're putting cones up all the time. These kids have to be hitting these cones. They're not just hitting the ball over to place, having an unproductive workout. These kids are specifically trying to hit certain spots on the court and they have a certain amount of balls that they must be hitting on top of these cones before the drill even, even comes to a close. And so it's, it's, it's highly productive. It's these kids are competing. They're trying to hit cones and uh, and 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 they're seeing the improvements. And 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 if you're not trying to hit these targets, and if you're missing these targets, you're off. And, and things need to be fixed. And that's constantly what Pierre and I are doing. We're, we're fixing many things as we're going along. Um, so tell me this. So you you described the the four hour, basically two hours of practice, and then maybe they'll go for lunch, or if you're worried about rain, they'll stay for another two hours. And then you you right. described fit. I think you said fitness for an hour, or or what would you yeah, call it? I mean, gym time. Yeah, with 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 what they're doing. If I'm doing a long session, they'll do about three and a half hours of tennis, and then we'll do a half hour physical fitness. By by the time that they're they're getting to the three hour three and a half hour mark, they're getting pretty tired. So uh, right. you know, you're asking a lot for for these kids. But um, but they're able to do it, and they've built up to to be able to do this. Now, were they able to do this when they first walked through my door? No, they were never. Most of them were never trained at this type of intensity level for for this duration of time. So they have to build up to it. So it, it just. So all what do you do to? It, so when a new student when a new student shows up, and and you decide to take them on, what do you? How do you kind of do you do? Do you increase their time, volume, and intensity? gradually or how do you get them to the point where their body can stand it without becoming injured well i've been blessed that knock on wood i've never had any kids have any serious injuries since i've been coaching since 2010 and 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 how and how do i combat that first of all unfortunately i had many injuries in my tennis career and when i look back at it a lot of the physical training i did was was just not smart so it was it was maybe from trainers what, it was from, from so my colleagues. What, what, what do you tell me what you mean by that? Explain go go a little deeper there. What when you say that a lot of the physical training you did wasn't smart? What do you mean by that? Like what did you do that you that you didn't think was smart? Well, my first of all, my my days as 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 a junior tennis player, my training was was superior. 
it, it really was. Uh, when I went through the door into college tennis, a lot, a lot of times the trainers, they're trained for the, the major sports. It could be baseball, football, those, those types of sports. Um, so a lot of them are not experts in tennis training. So we were trained by, by a guy that, that really didn't know how to train tennis players. And so we were, we were doing all kinds of lifting and crazy stuff that, that really tennis players should not be doing. And, and so I've learned, and I obviously don't make my players do these things. And the players that I'm training, if, if people follow me on social media, on Instagram or Facebook, the kids are working unbelievably hard. But the things that they're doing are very, very low risk of being injured. And if any kid has any type, if they get nicked or this or that, I have a medical staff and guys that I make one phone call and they're in the office getting worked on immediately. And, and, and the vast majority of time, they're right back training the next day. There's, I have the whole system has been set up so that these kids are thriving and all they have to do is show up ready to train and bust their butt every single day, listen to what we're doing and, and, and they'll do great things. And they've also been, so when you, yep. well, when you say in college that, that they had you lifting and doing crazy things, what are those crazy things you're talking about? And the reason I'm pressing you to go to be detailed is just in case there's any parent out there who the coach or the parents having their child do these things, they can stop. If that makes any sense. Right. Well, any, if, if you look closely at how the professional players are training and you look at their body types, these guys are lean, they're strong, and they're, and they're flexible, and they're quick. Okay? When, when I was in college, unfortunately, we were lifting and, and, and we, were, we were putting on mass. And our range of motion of our joints, our flexibility decreasing. Was, was decreasing, which, yeah. which you know, it, it may be okay for a college player. And it's okay, but if you have professional aspirations, that's a whole different ball game. And so we were we were pumping iron, and and we were doing a lot of Olympic lifting, and and I mean, yeah, our bodies were looking great, we were looking stronger, but it was not sport specific for tennis. It may have been okay for football, it may be okay for baseball, but it's not okay for tennis. And so when I entered the tour, I was I tore my rotator cuff, I tore my hip a couple of times, and you know, you just you can't. You can't compete at that level with, with those types of injuries. You can see with the guys today, they're having knee surgeries and they're having wrist surgeries and, and hip surgeries. And, yeah, I mean, a bunch of the top players have been out for six months to a year with these problems. And so when you have those problems, I mean, you, your, your professional career is just sidetracked and you're in major trouble. And so what are you doing? What are the things that you're doing on a daily But Like that after the four hours of training, the two-hour block and then the break and the next two-hour block, you said it was an hour of of fitness. What exactly are you doing during that hour? Sure. So you want me to give all my secrets away? <laughs> okay. Well, so, not so, not necessarily your secrets, but but just be right. you know, as specific as you feel comfortable being specific. Sure. No, no. I'll 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 tell you exactly what 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 we're doing. So the normal player, tennis player that walks in my door, has taken has taken a lot of tennis lessons. They've most likely been with masses of kids. They've done all the drill, the same drills that all the other kids have done. But I don't know how you can train like that when one kid may be five foot five, another kid could be six foot four, one kid may have certain grips, one kid may have certain swings. And so to 
me, every single kid has to be trained differently. Now, how I base my fitness is on a tournament schedule for the players that I'm currently training, but also what they need work on. The vast majority of kids that I've trained since 2010 do not understand how to move properly. They don't understand how to balance their body. They don't understand core positioning. So it's very basic what I'm doing, but they have never been taught these things, which are crucial. I don't care how many tennis lessons you've taken. I don't care how beautiful your swings are, how beautiful your grips are. If you don't understand how to move and use your lower body and synchronize it and understand core positioning and those things, you're going to have a lot of trouble in this game. And that, I think, is what's being lost big time with what's going on with American tennis. Now, I can tell you from my tennis upbringing, I was not coached by American coaches. I was coached by Argentine coaches. So they taught you these things all at, all at one time. They taught you how to move. They taught you the grips, and they taught you the swings, and it was highly physical, the workouts you were doing. But all those things were taught at, at the same time. And so when I, when I see things on, on social media or on the Internet and everything, and I see kids standing still, all I think to myself is, eh, maybe, maybe I should just take them golfing. If you want to stand and you want to swing and have a pretty swing, then I should take your kid golfing. They shouldn't become tennis players. They should be golfers. Right, right. And so, you know, the, and, and it's okay. If, 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 a, if a kid is a, a beginner, you know, they may need to be hand-fed a ball and they don't need to move and they need to learn how to step and swing and those things. But you really, to me, if you want to really be developing great players, the workouts need to be highly physical, and these kids really need to understand how to become a tennis athlete. And so that's what right. I'm working on day after day, session after session. And if you, if you go, go on the social media, I show a lot of the exercises that I'm doing with these players on a daily basis to, for them to, 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 to really become a much better tennis athlete and, and understand how to, how to hit a big ball and use their body efficiently and effectively. Yeah, I, I recommend uh, all the time I'm showing coaches uh, in our area, you on social media. I think you're one of the best coaching follows. But I'm, but I'm going to press you one more time. During that hour, that after the two sessions, what exactly is happening? So, sure. So, about once or twice a week, I'm going to take the kids that I train. I'm going to take them, and they're going to go do some cross-training. That's for lung, lung capacity, those types of things. So their, their meters on the field, depending on their tournament scheduling, it could be anything from 200-meter sprints to 400-meter, 100 meters. They could be, depending on their age and, and how strong they are, it could be with parachutes. Some, some kids can be pulling me on harnesses, which is pretty tough. I was thinner when I was playing. So when they're pulling me on a harness, that's not so much fun, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, I enjoy my days. So, but um, yeah, and, and and it's all it's all on on Facebook. I'm not hiding it from anyone. But um, so I, I'll do those things once or twice a week for overall fitness, which is really cross training. It's not sports specific. Now, depending right, on right. how the kids, depending on how the kids are feeling and their tournament scheduling, like like I'm like I've been telling you, the other days we're going to be doing on court fitness. Now it could be throwing medicine balls. It could be balancing, just depending on what 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 the kids need. Many kids are off balance when they're playing. They're on one leg. They don't, you know, there's many things that, that, that I'm seeing on a, on a daily basis, but it could be, yeah, like I said, medicine ball training. But it's, just, 
it's basically general strength and fitness, whether it's on court or off court, but it's general strength and fitness, but it's not doing Olympic style, you know, CrossFit or something like that. No way. And I can tell you that I've had some of the best players in the country. They've gone on to the, the best universities and I have not put these kids in a gym to be lifting weights, which may be crazy to some parents. And I'm seeing kids that are lifting weights at a very young age. That is extremely dangerous, and I don't believe in it. Um, now, when when they're still growing and their growth plates are still open, that's extremely dangerous. And trainers do it, and I don't agree with it. And I've spoken to all my top doctors and guys that work on the top athletes here in South Florida and the top athletes in the world, and uh, and I have discussions about it, and I even ask them, hey, what do you think of this or that? And and I talk to these guys all the time to make sure that these players are staying healthy. That is the number one goal. If a kid gets injured, then you're sidetracked and then you start from square one, which is not something that I want to do. I'm putting a lot of time and effort into these select kids. I don't want them getting injured. I don't want I don't want them starting from square one. I want to keep building them to be achieving their goals and dreams. Yeah, and one thing I like that you said, I mean, here's the thing is, so you talked about what a typical Monday looks like, but what I really like that you said is after the warm-up from 9.30 to 11.30, you can't, you couldn't really be specific what you're doing because it depends on what each child needs to work on. So if this kid has to, is having trouble with a portion of his game, he's going to be working on it where this child over here is working on what he needs to work on or she needs to work on. So you can't really say, well, we do this drill, we do that drill. Uh, so, but I like that how you laid out the Monday, what it looks like. So how many a days in that week, Monday through Sunday, are you training on a non-tournament week? Well, we're going Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. It just, it just really, it, it just really depends. Um, so if you go Monday through Friday, on Saturday and Sunday, what do those look like for the player if they're not playing tennis? Is it just a total off day where they can do whatever they feel like, or what's that look like? Sure. So, like I said, it's all depending on their tournament schedule. Now, one of my main goals is that if your child does not have a tournament on the weekends, on Friday, they should be really tired where they need that day off. And I actually had that discussion with some of the boys I was training today. And they were tired. And I said, good. We, we've done a good job this week, and you don't have a tournament. So you deserve the day off on Saturday. So they'll take a day off on Saturday. On Sunday, they're not going to touch the racket. But they're going to go out, and they're going to do some running. They may be doing some on-court fitness. I've given them one of my programs that, uh, that they can do. They can go to their local park, or some kids have courts at their houses, at their house. And, and they'll go do fitness. These, these are disciplined kids. So it just depends so on Saturday, how so, so Saturday's nothing. Saturday, when they're real fried, tired on Friday when the day's over, Saturday yeah. might be, you know, you just do whatever you want. Don't run. Don't hit a ball. And then Sunday's not going to be – they're not going to touch a racket, but they're, they're going to go out and they're going to do something like an active recovery is what you're describing. Yeah, they'll go, they'll go for a 20 or 30-minute run. They'll stretch out. Maybe they take an ice bath. They foam roll. They use a massage stick those types of things. Um, right. Because, and, and, one, and one of the things that I think a lot of kids don't understand until maybe I start describing it to them is that if they take, if they take a couple of days off on the weekends, many times that Monday is a disaster. They laid a around. Disaster. They didn't, right. They, 
They, uh, you know, they were doing, I'm sure they were probably doing a lot of schoolwork and they were in their house. They were in the air conditioning. They come to, they come to workouts on Monday and they're, they're like a vegetable. They can't move. <laughs> Everything is hurting them because these kids are, are used to being so active that when you shut it down, your body is, is not used to that. And then all of a sudden I want you to, to start training hard on Monday and, and, and they're not feeling good. So that's why I make right. sure on Sunday that they are active. They don't have to touch the racket, but they have to do some type of fitness. They need to do their recovery. They need to stretch. They need to take care of their body. They're basically preparing their body to start really working hard again on Monday. Yeah, that makes good sense. Scott, have you got a question before I ask the next one? Yeah, let me take a step back. Now, the kids that you're working with, what are their age ranges again? Sure. I have one girl. Um, um, we're basically prepping privately to join our system. She's from Australia. She's 11 years old. Um, but really, um, really, the most of the kids that, that I'm training, I have one boy that's 11 years old, but he's a very, very high-level 11-year-old. But the kids I'm training are, are basically 14 to 18 years old. So they're, they're teenagers. All right. And, and specifically with those 11-year-olds, what – do you prohibit them from doing in terms of, you know, conditioning, you know, like I said, would they be able to do medicine ball or is there certain things that the 14 and the 16 year olds do that you say that's just the 11 year olds would not be smart for them to do? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm using common sense. So I have different types of medicine balls. Maybe they use a very light medicine ball. Maybe when, when the kids are doing stuff on the boozoo ball, they may be only doing their, their body weight. Um, it just depends on really how strong they are and what they can handle. Um, I have bands that I put around kids' ankles that I'm sure you've seen on the internet and they're doing, you know, I don't know what it's called, but they're doing like little kind of like squat walks on, 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 on the yeah. court and they're using very light bands, but they're working on a lot on balance. A lot of the kids are off balance. They don't know how to use their lower body. And so all these things, it's going to take a long time for them to develop their strength and balance, but it's just very, very basic stuff. It's nothing crazy. They're not doing anything that could be that could that could cause injury. So, but I'm just monitoring it to make sure that they're that they're that they're just developing overall strength. And and what kind of courts do you what, what do you guys train on the clay courts or hard courts or both? Train on both. It really just depends on the tournament scheduling of of the kids. Um, you know, clay clay courts are great because it, the the kids really start to understand the court better. They understand that, that you know they they have to play with a lot more variety. Um, so it just but it you know overall it just really depends on what they're gearing up towards tournament wise. And you know you, you talked about the influence of your coach from being from Argentina, and Argentina you know is known for you know sort of the red clay and Guillermo Vilas and. Um, all those things. Jared Donaldson, he went down there to train specifically to train on the red clay courts. And we've had people tell us on our podcast that, you know, they think one of the things that American tennis should do more of is have more red clay courts. Could you talk a little bit about the difference between the red and the green clay um, and, and what your impression is of, is of that? Great question. Sure. Sure. I, I could. Well, the green clay is, is, to me, it's 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 much easier to to move on. Um, mm-hmm. Just depending on whether you know what type of green clay your your son or daughter is playing on, um, 
the ball most likely bounces lower. <clears throat> when you're on a European red clay court, it takes a lot more strength, a lot more balance to be moving on those courts. The ball jumps a lot higher. It, and and but it, it really depends on how fast those red clay courts are are playing. I can tell you that I've, I've played on very slow red clay courts. I played on very fast red clay courts where the ball is jumping like crazy, like what you're kind of seeing when it doesn't rain at the French Open with Rafael Nadal. When he hits a heavy forehand and it hasn't rained and the court is playing fast, that ball is jumping like crazy all over the court. And so it's it's very difficult um, for his opponents. And so that's what you're seeing most of the time at the French Open. So it just, um, it just depends. Um, but in terms of, in terms of the discussion of American tennis players needing to learn how to play on red clay, I, I agree with that. But what they really need to do is they need to find someone that can actually teach them how to play on clay. That's the main thing. So I was coached <laughs> by Argentine coaches, and, and, and they were teaching you all the variety. I can tell you from when I was six or seven years old, I was in unbelievably tough drills, and they were already teaching me how to hit a high-heavy ball. They were teaching me how to drive a ball. I was already hitting angles. I was splicing the ball. I had a I had a wide array of shots already at a very young age, but that's what they were teaching you. They were teaching you such an incredible foundation of tennis. And so it, they understood that when you had this type of foundation, that you were not going to be limited when you got to your teenage years and, and maybe on to college tennis or professional tennis. Scott, do you care if I go in a different direction? Yeah, Absolutely, go. yeah, whatever. Go ahead. Absolutely. All right, so so here's the next question I've got is, is clearly no athlete in any sport can train full out at a high level of intensity 20, I mean, 12 months of the year, 365 days of the year. So what do you, I, I, and, and so can you talk to us real quick about how you periodize your athletes? And, and to me, in your system with 10 athletes, it seems like it would be very difficult to periodize them if they're on different um, tournament schedules. But can you talk about how you periodize them? Because one of the things I think that in, in America, especially we've fallen into is one of these deals where we play tournaments 12 months of the year, and we try to have our children at their maximum ability level 12 months of the year when, when nobody can do that. So can you kind of talk about how you periodize the athlete? Sure. So it's, it's very important for this. Now, like I said, it all depends what I'm working on with that type of tennis player. Um, unfortunately, a lot the kids that are walking through my door, they need a lot of work. Now, it could be technically. It could be physically. It could be emotionally. It could be all of these things. It just depends on each, each and every kid. Um, so in terms of, in terms of tournaments, if a child is having things fixed with their coach on a daily basis and they start entering tournaments and those things are not fully fixed, they're going to resort back to their old habits. And this is, this is not a good thing. And, and, I, and I've dealt with this with, with players and, and the kids and, and, and the parents. Maybe, maybe it's in their latter years of junior tennis and they need to be able to get a certain ranking to be getting into certain tournaments. And so, that just becomes very tough on the coach, but that's why right. I'm hired. You know, that, that's, that's why they're hiring me to fix it 
get results and 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 make these make these uh, dreams and goals a reality. So, um, in terms of periodization, the kids are taking they take vacations and stuff with their families and 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 those types of things. And it just depends on it depends on the athlete. There are kids that that are that are behind. So, am I going to go give them a month off of tennis? Hell no. There's no way I am because if they want these types of results then we need to hit it hard. But are they going to need proper rest on a weekend or, or get away from tennis? Absolutely. So these are the things that I'm monitoring all the time. Is there an off-season in tennis? No. No, there's not. Tennis is a very, very tough sport. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's really just a judgment call, in, in my opinion, from, from what I'm working on with, with these types of kids. Um, and their and their tournament scheduling and like I've said in the articles I've written in, in the in the podcast and my Facebook posts, the management of of the junior tennis player is crucial. If you're going to a coach and all they're doing is teaching your son or daughter this or that, but they're not helping you and managing you through your tennis career, you're going to make a lot of mistakes, and it's going to be really tough on on your son or daughter. Yeah, but but so you take a kid like uh, that, like Ronnie, who you've had in your system for multiple years. Mm-hmm. Am, am I right when I say he's probably been with you two or more years? Am I correct? That that is correct. So so when you look at Ronnie's schedule, and and you think about on an on a yearly schedule, it, do you look at if he if he's working hard towards a certain tournament or? a certain maybe clay court or hard court season and you you know you working real hard to get through those tournaments what does it look like after the tournaments do you give him a break do you give him a few days off a a week off or or is it are you just going 365 days of the year to train at maximum capacity kind of kind and i'm not talking about the kids who enter the system i'm talking about the kids who have been in it for a while and are in pretty good shape Right, right. Well, I mean, it, you know, it, Ron, Ronnie is a different story because Ronnie, Ronnie is from New York, but he's been living with me for two and a half years, and so that was from when he was 14 years old. But I also started training him when he was 12 years old, on and off during his breaks, like you know, spring and Christmas and summer breaks. So I have been monitoring him since he was 12 years old. Um, I can tell you, in his case. He had never played fewer tournaments as when he came here to Florida to train with Pierre and I. And so when we looked at that scheduling and we looked at what we needed to work on for his goals and dreams to become a reality, that's what I'm talking about right now is the management of the player. So there were things that needed to be fixed. There was managing of his tournament scheduling, of his vacation time, everything from A to Z. This is not usually the case for most juniors. They don't have someone that that is looking over them every single detail that they that they do in their life, like like I've been doing with Ronnie. I mean, that, that's that's a little bit rare. Um, does he take time off? Yeah. Will he take time off after Kalamazoo? Yes. Do we need to make sure that he's peaking for professional events, for super national clays, for super national hard courts at Kalamazoo? Yes. 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 Those are all things that are managed by someone who hopefully knows what they're doing with developing junior tennis players. Uh, will he take a rest in December? Yes. Is he working harder than probably any kid in the whole country? Yes. 
So his days are tougher and longer than what I even described to you earlier in this show. But he has built up to that for years, and I've been monitoring it to make sure that he, his body and his brain can handle it. And so now he's going to start playing professional events, which he's already played a couple. And can he handle that? Yes. Could I have thrown him into professional events a year ago? Yes. Was he ready? No. That's why, right. like I said, this has been managed. Well, and so my question is, so he plays Kalamazoo, and you get him to peak at Kalamazoo, and he plays the whole entire tournament. And and mm-hmm. is Kalamazoo Kalamazoo's usually like the first or second weekend or week in in August? Is that right? Yes. And so he plays Kalamazoo, and Kalamazoo ends. And so what do you do in the block of time between Kalamazoo and his next tournament that he's preparing for? What does that what is what is what does that time span look like? And when you say in December when he's taking time off, what does his time off look like? Does it look like? no tennis for a month or does it look like a day a week or kind of be specific about when you say they take time off because I know that every coach who has their player take time off it looks different for every every coach and every player describe describe what Ron, what you would think is is uh for Ronnie when he plays Kalamazoo what do those weeks and months following Kalamazoo look like sure so He's, he's going to be going through the summer playing professional events and then clay courts in Kalamazoo. He just told me the other day, I want to go play this professional event. I believe he said it was in Boston. I have to look at the schedule. It's after Kalamazoo. Normally, he would take a break. This kid's telling me he wants to go play more professional tennis. This is not, this is not normal for most 16- and 17-year-olds in this country. Okay, so, so it's a different case. Um, in terms of taking a break in, in December, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna take one in December. He'll go see his family. Um, he uh, he'll probably take maybe ten days off. Um, maybe half of those days he'll do physical fitness. He will not touch a tennis racket. I don't want him to think about tennis. I don't want him to see a tennis ball. I don't want him to touch a tennis racket. I want him fresh for 2019 um, because. What he's doing and what he's going through is is very tough, but as as I've said, he can he can handle it. He's built up to it for years already. This is not something that happened in a couple months. This is years and years in the making. So now we need to see that how how he how he's really doing it at a pro level. Can he can he thrive at, at a low level pro pro events and 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 manage that? What what does he need to do? What does he need to work on? Is he physically there? Is he emotionally there? Is, is he is he tactically there? Technically, he's definitely there. We've been working on these things in his game for for over for over probably two years, two and a half years. As as a player, he's very complete, and and that was the goal to make him a very complete player by this time, and he is. Now we need to see about some of the other aspects. But in terms of in terms of resting, it really all depends, and and I can tell you that. After the summer circuit, he may be a little bit out of shape. And, and you're going to say, what, Todd? How can he be out of shape? Well, I'll tell you. When a child goes to a tennis tournament, they're playing tennis matches and they're competing. Are they training and are they working as hard as when they're at home? Most likely not. On the, on the road, if they're really a disciplined kid and the coach is managing it, they're trying to maintain the level of fitness that they built up at home. 
but they're going to lose right. fitness. You're, you're going to lose. Right. Unfortunately, unfortunately, you're going to lose fitness. Is Ronnie going to go train six hours a day on the road when he's getting ready for professional matches? No, of course not. Right. He needs right. to be right. right. So like I said, this is all managed by hopefully by someone who knows what they're doing and, and, and they've, and they've done it before with other players or they were a player, you know, whatever the case shall be. But, um, so in terms of a 16 or 17 year old kid, physically, you have to make sure that they're in great shape. They're strong. They feel good when they go and play men. You know, we're, we're comparing a 16 and 17 year old boy who's still growing a lot, who's blooming very late physically. And I'm throwing him in against men that are fully developed that maybe had great college careers that have been on the pro tour for many years. And he's, he's played guys that are 24 and 26 years old. That's 10 years older than him. And he's just, he's still growing and he's a late, late growing boy. So, you know, that's, 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 that's a whole different ball game. So what do you, how many of those 10 day rest periods in the year will he have? Very few in December, he'll have one. Every once in a while, he's he's flying back home to rest and see his family and maybe take care of right. some stuff at home. So maybe that's three or four, maybe three days off. But uh, that that that's it. I mean, he's not he's not taking a, a ton of time off. He's a he's a developing right. guy. Right. Scott, have you got anything for us? The next question. Yeah, let me um, ask you this. Um, you know, you, you say you got a couple of eleven-year-olds coming to your academy, or I'm sorry, it's not an academy. Um, be clear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's coming to your program. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, what when you look at an 11-year-old, what are you looking at in terms of talent identification? Um, is it, you know, their wins and losses? Is it their game style? What What would you look at as, as a, a, if you're looking at a 10 or 11-year-old and considering them to come to your program, what kind of things would you be looking for? Sure. First of all, desire to play and desire to want to be with Pierre and I every single day. That's number one. Number two, I'm looking at their attitude. Number three, I'm looking at their eye-hand coordination. I'm looking at their balance. I'm looking at their technique. I'm looking at tactically, do they understand how to play the get, play the game? Excuse me. Um, I'm looking at their physicality. Do they understand how to move? Do they understand how to use their lower body? Um, what else? I'm also looking at their parents. Why am I looking at their parents? I want to understand how big this child is going to be. I want to understand um, maybe some of the background. I need to understand what their background of training was. Who trained them before they, they came to me? What have they been working on? What was the intensity of the workouts? Um, you know, so so th those, are, those are many of the things. Um, do they understand how to train? Now, you're going to say, Todd, give me a break. They've been playing for a year. I'm telling you, most kids do not understand how to train. They do not ha understand how to concentrate for long periods of time. They can maybe hit a couple of balls. Then, then mentally, they, they lose their concentration. They lose their discipline. All these things are, are the things that I'm looking at when I put any of these kids through assessments, regardless of whether it's the 11-year-olds or a teenager that's, that's coming to me. These are all the things. And probably more so that that I'm looking at when when I'm when I'm really deciding whether I want to spend my hours and days with these with these certain kids. Um, so I'm I'm currently doing that with a couple of 11 year olds right now, and uh, and so you no, 
know, in, in terms of that, many times they're not used to this. They're not used to the physicality of these workouts, they, the, the repetitions, what I'm demanding of them, what Pierre is demanding of them, ball after ball. And, and so these things are built up. So, you know, that, that we, we take it one step at a time and, and we see how fast they can learn. And, uh, and, then, and then we go from there. Okay. So when you start right. with a kid, is it oh, – go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say when you start with a kid, is, it, is your first priority to, to increase their fitness so they can stand the, the workouts, or are you trying to fix uh, technical flaws? Or what kind of what's the progression that, you know, I coached football for years, so I, I, it was kind of building blocks. You've got to do this before you can do that. What, what's kind of your progression? Right. Um, that's, a, that's a tough question, like I said, because every kid is different. Um, in terms of, in, in, in terms of, of, of what you're asking, I want to see the athlete and the eye-hand coordination and the will, those are the things that, that really stand out most. And I want to know how quick that, that young, young girl or young boy can learn and, and how fast this process is going to take for me to get them where I would like for them to be by a certain time and where their parents would like them to be and, 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 and to start achieving their goals and dreams. Um, you know, that, that's, that's, that, that, that's a tough question, you know, because every kid is different. Like I've said, some, some kids may need some technical work. I've had kids that come over with long grips on their serve and volleys and, and those types of things. Um, some kids may need tons of physical work. They haven't been put through physical workouts. They may have nice swings and grips. They may have terrible lower body, have no understanding of movement and balance and being light on their feet and agility and, and understanding core positioning and, you know, all these things I'm describing to you. Um, some some kids emotionally may be basket cases. They could be crazy. They could they could be very unstable. They don't know how to compete. They can't handle themselves. They have bad attitudes. Some of those things need to be adjusted, and that's not pretty. But uh, we'll we'll take care of that if you need us to. And that's not a pleasant situation. But uh, you know that's why we're hired. Um, so like I said, you know it's 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 each and every kid is different. Um, you know, so it's it's hard to answer that one. So, yeah, and, and I can see that because every kid shows up looking totally different. One may be in shape but bad strokes, and the other may be out of shape but great strokes. So, what are the what are the what are the the grips that you teach on the serve and on the forehand and the volley? Are you you kind of let them if they want to be eastern or semi western or western, or do you have one grip that you teach on the forehand? And and on the serve, what kind of be specific on what you teach there? Sure. So if I told you I taught all my kids the same way, that would that would not be a good thing because every kid is yeah, different. I agree. Every background of kid, the background of their previous coaching is different. If they all came from the same system and they all had the same strokes, I could fix them all the same way. <laughs> that would be that would be too easy. It'd be too good to be true. Um, right. So. You know there there are certain grips you know like volleys and overheads and serves and we're gonna we're, you're gonna have a continental grip, um, but kids with their forehands and backhands their grips may be slightly different right the grip that right the grips that professionals are using so some of them are slightly different they're you know they're, they they basically overall may be 
similar, but they could be slightly different. So what I'm looking at is, do I need to fix this? Do I do I not need to fix this? Does it work for this particular kid? Does it not work for this particular kid? So like I said, every case is different. If it needs to be fixed, yeah. we will fix it. If it doesn't need to be touched, that's a beautiful thing. We can do something else. We can we can start working yeah. on other things. You know, I'm, this is not an ego trip where I'm gonna put Todd Whittem's forehand and backhand on this on all these kids, and they're all gonna look the same. And this is how we do it. And and this, I've produced champions. And no, 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 we're, we're not doing that. Every kid is different. They've all come from different environments. I have kids coming from Australia, kids coming from Europe, kids coming from all over the United States. They all come from much different environments. They may have grown up indoors on very fast courts. Some kids may have grown up on very slow outdoor clay courts, so their grips could be different. Their coaches are, are very different as well you know, growing up. So it, it just all it, it really all depends. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm like personally I like that that's what you said because there there are some coaches that will say every player should hit a forehand with this grip. And yeah, so I, I, I agree I, with what you said. That that to me and and I've seen it, and I and in my South Florida area, I've trained kids that do have the same techniques, and I know exactly where they've come from. And so, for me, it's an easy fix because I've already done it. <laughs> yeah. So so you know that 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 makes it easier for me. But it, is is it something that 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 I that I believe in? No. Every kid, their body type, small, big, large very skinny, you know, so it's, they're, they're all different. You cannot train every kid the same. And I can tell you the two boys that I sent off the pro tournaments, they are trained differently. They have different game styles and, uh, and they're both playing great tennis, but they're trained completely different. And, and one, so how do you tell me this is how do you identify their game style? I mean, how do you identify if they're going to be a net rusher or a, or a serving volley or, or, you know, that's kind of the same thing, but a, a, a power baseline or, or an all-court player. What I mean, if you're getting a kid that's 11, are you able to see immediately that, wow, this kid has great hands, so I'm going to try to get them to the net some? How, how do you make that determination? Yeah. Or do you just kind of – does the kid make the determination? No, <laughs> not, 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 not the kids. You know, they're usually just trying to follow kind of what the coach is teaching them. Um, I, I, I go based on feel. I just go based on my brain. I go based based on what I want them to be playing like when in when they're basically 16 to 18 years old, and they need to make a decision whether they're going to go to college and what level of college, or they're going to turn professional. That's what I'm trying to prep these kids for. So the training that they're going through, they are they're going through processes that are developing their game for years down the road. If I want a kid to win a lot of matches now, that's very short-sighted. Could I do that? Yes. Will they be getting their butt kicked down the road? It could be. And that's not a good thing. And you're seeing that all too often. I've written on this where kids are, are maybe winning the wrong way at a young age, but the coach is happy he's getting paid. The parents are happy because they're winning. But if someone really was taking a, a, a good look at that particular child and, and could understand down the road when it really counts, when they're 16 or 18 years old, and they, they would really fully understand that this kid may be in, in trouble. And I've seen it over and over again. You could look at the ratings and everything of particular players from when they were young 
And then they, when it's crunch time, 16 to 18 years old, it may not be so so pretty. And uh, but but you know, maybe maybe they just weren't developed well, and 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 they were winning too much. And like I said, all these things are managed. As as a youngster, you need to be winning, but you also need to be losing. You can't be winning all the time. That's that's not a, that's not a good thing. It it could be exciting for 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 the child. It could be could be very exciting for the parent. It could be very very exciting and nice for the coach because he knows that he's going to be getting some nice checks all the time from the parents. But that's that's not that's not developing a player. That's developing a money stream. So, and I think I think just like you said, you can't be winning all the time. I think you also can't be losing all the time. You know, so. Right. That's a, yeah. that's a good point that you said you should be doing a little bit of both. Yeah, you, you, you it, it, it's a process of developing your game for the future. So any kid that that I'm taking on and that, that I'm working with, I have I, I have in, in my brain I, I'm thinking these are all the things that this kid needs to develop by this certain time for these certain results and and for to send this kid off to these types of schools where they would like to go or professional tennis or wherever they would like to be. That's what's in my brain. That's constantly what they're working right. on. So right. that's, that's, that's why I told you, you cannot train all the kids the same. You can't. Scott, have you got a question before I ask the next one? No, go ahead. So the, the next one is, is during a tournament week, you know, so they've got to say they got a tournament that starts on Saturday. Um, okay. what does the week look, how is the week different starting on Monday, uh, knowing that you want to train them, but at the same time, you want them to be fresh when they play that Saturday match. Yeah. Well, they're still going to train hard. Um, they're going to train hard. I'm going to probably take it a little bit easier heading into Thursday and Friday. So this is different where I want kids tired on Friday cause they had a great week of training. If they didn't have a tournament on the weekends. Now I want them completely fresh on Saturday. So on Friday, they may do a half a day, you know, maybe just two hours of training. But the, the type of training that they're going to go through to prepare for a tournament is different. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you want to take, for example, their physical training, they may do a little bit of, of field work on Monday. But after that, everything is sports-specific on movement. The agility, the crossing over, the side shuffling, the throwing of medicine balls, those things are going to be very specific to how they need to be moving in matches and in tournaments. Um, in terms of the tennis training, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of the same thing. So we need to make sure that they're tactically doing things properly, structuring, you know, st structuring uh, points, making sure that shot selections, playing the score, understanding the situations they're in, all of these things on how to be playing proper points and, 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 and sets and matches will be harped on that week, big time. They're going to play a, a lot more sets. They're going to play a lot more competitive um, points, th those types of things. And, and, and Pierre and I need to make sure that, the, that they're tactically, that the that they understand exactly how they need to be playing for, for their tournament on that weekend. Dad, have you got the next one? 
Yeah, I'm sorry, I was on mute. So let, let's say that you're, the, the the tournament's on the Saturday, and the first match is at 8 a.m. on Saturday. What do you do in terms of the night before and the morning of? In terms of you know, what time do you get to bed? What do you eat the night before? And then how early do you get up? And what kind of say warm up do you want to do given the the, the early early start? Yeah, sure. So. I mean, the, the night before, they they need to try to go to bed as early as possible. Um, in terms of in terms of hydration and, and their and their nutrition, those those are those are things that I'm looking at as well. And especially if I'm going to be training the players the way that I train them, that's also more discussions that I'm having with these kids. Many of the kids that are coming through my door, their nutrition is terrible, and so one of my main concerns is that they're going to break down, and and. Uh, and their muscles are going to break down, and they're going to have to go see one of my buddies because they strained something or this or that, and that's not something I want to be dealing with. I want them to be training and, and be healthy. So <laughs> those, those are more discussions that I'm having. What did you eat for breakfast? What did you have last night for dinner? What's your normal, you know, normal daily intake of food and hydration and, and all of these things? Are you eating during but my workout? You- yeah. But when you say when you say their nutrition's terrible, what are they eating that you mean by terrible, and what would you rather them be eating? Oh, well, a lot of kids, and I can tell you, they're many times they're not eating enough fruits and vegetables. They're just eating breads, meat. Um, their, their diet is very limited. They may eat pasta, meat, bread, cheese. That's it. And I'm seeing that a lot. a lot. A lot of the kids have a very limited diet, and uh, and so a lot of times they're not getting the nutrients. They may be you know skinny little 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 kids, and they need to get a lot stronger, and they need to start eating like an athlete. If when 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 you're a big time athlete, many times you're eating for your sport because you're an athlete, right. not because not because you actually love the food that you're eating. You're eating it because you want to do well in your sport, and you're an athlete. Right. Not because you love to eat the green beans or the salads or the fruits or whatever. You know what? You eat it because you want to be a damn good tennis player. So, right. You know, that's, that may not taste good. It may not be comfortable for these kids. But you know what? How bad do you want to be achieving what you want to achieve? That's the discussion. Right. And so, so the next morning when they wake up, what is the what's the warm-up look like if they play an 8 o'clock match? Do you do a long one, a short one? Kind of be specific on that. Yeah, they'll they'll go for about twenty or thirty minute warm up, um, and they'll and they'll go. But it's not an hour. Bowl. It's not an hour and fifteen minutes. It's twenty twenty or thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's. You would hope that they have a feel for the court and they understand the conditions the day before because they're prepared for that tournament. So then you get there if you have an eight a.m. match. You get there at around seven o'clock. The kids start doing their warm up, then they start hitting the ball. I mean, they'll they'll go down the middle for maybe five, 10 minutes. Then they'll start going into cross courts. Um, then uh, I always have them hit a couple winners down the line, change the direction. Then they, they come up and they, they hit maybe five minutes of volleys. Then they take their overheads. They take their serves. They, uh, they hit some return of serve as well off of the person that they're, uh, that, that they're warming up with. And then a couple of points because that's what you're going to be doing in your match. And, uh, right. and that, should take, that should take about 20 or 30 minutes. They're, they've hit all their shots. Then when they're done warming up, they should go to a quiet place and get away from everyone. And, and I've written articles on this too. 
is that it's not it's not time to socialize and hang out with all your friends. You go to a quiet spot, you start stretching out, you start visualizing how you want to be playing your match and and how you want to be constructing the points against the player that you're going to play at 8 a.m. It's not this is not a social arena if you're serious and I'm I'm talking about serious tennis players. It's not right. tournaments are times it's not a time to go and socialize with all your friends and and huddle in, huddle in a, in a group of kids, and, and you're so happy to see Johnny there, and you haven't seen him in a couple months, and how are you doing? And none of them, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not what serious players are doing. I'm, I'm sorry for the parents that are listening to this, because the parents want to go see their friends too, and that's fine. But I can tell you that when I was a developing junior, I didn't stay at the tournament hotel. I did not associate with many of the players. I associate maybe with a couple of kids that I trained with on a daily basis. I went to the courts. I did my business. I left. And that was it. I was there to do business. I wanted to kick butt. And then I finished the tournament. I went home. I started training and getting better for my next events. That's how it went. It was not a, it was not a social arena party going on. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. Um, just one quick follow up there would be like sort of the post-match. So after the match is over, you know, you hear a lot of, you know, people say, um, you know, don't talk about the match, just go get pizza or whatever. I don't think that's necessarily the best course, but, <laughs> but, but, but what, what do you, once the match is over and you're there as the coach, what, 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 what's your protocol with your player? Sure. Many times I want to hear what they, what they thought of yeah. the match whether it was a positive or a negative experience out there. And, and, and I want to understand what, what they're thinking. And many times they're very off base. That, that's why I'm coaching them. They, maybe they don't understand kind of what happened and, and, and how they won or how they lost or what, how they should have done things or shouldn't have done or whatever the case shall be. So I'm going to, I'll have that discussion with them. And, uh, you know, and, and we, and we go from there, but in terms of, in terms of, you know, the, the recovery from a match, you know, I can talk about that physically in a minute, but, you know, I'll talk to one, talk to one of the players and we, we talk about, well, what were you thinking at this stage or that stage? And how are you trying to break down the opponent across the net? What is the game plan? You know, how well did you follow the game plan? How well did you compete? How was the attitude? Were you nervous? Were, were you unfocused? You know, all, all these different things. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk for five or 10 minutes. The second we're done talking, we don't talk tennis anymore. It's over. Yeah. Right. We are moving on. I'm not talking to them. And I can tell you, and, I, and I, this is one of, one of the articles I was going to write about, the rule when I was growing up is that when you leave those tennis courts, you don't talk tennis. Do not. Ronnie, for example, lives with me. I rarely ever talk about tennis outside of the court. The only time I may talk tennis with him in my house is when we're watching a tennis match on TV. and so. I'm pointing out things that I'm seeing and he's pointing out things that, that he's trying to understand or see and those types of things. Other than that, we don't talk tennis. So I think that's, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. I think, uh, I think that's a good rule to go with. Yeah. One of the worst things is that when you get, when that kid gets into that car with the parents and they just talking tennis, 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 nonstop. And you're frying that kid's brain and they got to go play another match later on. That, that's 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 not a good thing. So right. yeah, and, and, and I think that 
Yeah, I think that's the distinction is, you know, I think when people say, you know, you don't talk tennis after the match, I think what they're talking about is a car ride when you just won't let it go. But I think what you're talking about when you sort of let's debrief five to 10 minutes, what did you see out there? How did you feel? Here's what I saw. That's fine. But like you say, if, you, if you're, if you're still talking about it 30 minutes later, then you're, then you're overdoing it. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, I and agree. Every, every, like I said, every case is different. So trust me, these, some of these discussions are not positive. If I'm seeing things that are really not good and it could be attitude, it could be the, you know, usually it's the way they're acting on the court and that's not a positive thing. And they know it. They can just look at my face and go, Oh boy, God is going to kick my butt. And I'm saying it mildly right now and they know it. And, uh, and so that's not going to be tolerated. Um, but, uh, you know, in, 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 term, in terms of, you know, ha- handling those types of things, you got to get to the point and, and you got to make your point. They need to understand what happened out there, how they're going to move on to the next match, and they need to start preparing mentally, physically for the, for the next match. Um, and, uh, and, and really, what, what I can tell you about tournament matches is, is and, 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 and it's what Pierre said all along, is that they're examinations. Tennis tournaments are examinations to how well your kid is developing. So if your kid has a great tournament and they're doing things really well, well, the examination, you did great, right? But if, if your coach is at a tournament, they need to be monitoring what they need to be working on when that tournament is over. And, and many times the discussion I have with the players is, is to me, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not really absorbed in, in the results and, and these types of things. What I'm looking for at tournaments, when I go see the players that I train, when I go see them at a tournament, I'm trying to figure out the next stage of development that we need to work on when this tournament ends so that I can continue the process of getting this player to higher levels of tennis. That's what I'm looking right. at. Right. Okay. Because if you do things well, if, if these particular players are doing things well and they're improving their skills, the results are going to come. And and it could be like I said, tactically, emotionally, technically, all these different things. You know, physically, right? If they're improving those things, you're going to see it. They're going to have better results. And and you got to continue that process. And and like I said, I don't I don't I I don't train kids for the short term. I'm looking always looking into the future to what I want these kids to look like and how I want them to be playing tennis. That's what I'm looking at. Well, Todd, this has been this has been a great one of the best podcasts we've done, uh, and I, I want to be respectful of your time. But what I would love is if we could get you back on because the questions that we had listed before we started tonight, we got through about six of them. There's that's not even halfway. Um, okay. We we absolutely. We really I mean, listen, we if, really. If you want to, if you want to do a couple more, it's not a problem. It doesn't bother me. No big deal. So when it, yeah, and. and we, we've really been impressed with what you've done to Ronnie and some of the other kids and in your in your group. Uh, and so uh, we appreciate you being on uh, and hope you have a, a great evening. Yeah, thanks yeah, so and, much. Yeah. And before I let you go, could, could you tell everybody what, what, where, where can they find you on social media? Where, where can they see your videos? Sure. Yeah, you just type in my name, uh, Todd Whittem, into Facebook. Um, I, have, I have a pretty good following uh, on Facebook. Um, you know, I mean, they're getting the, the videos I'm putting up are, are getting thousands of hits, you know, whether it's uh, a tennis video or, or a physical training video, the 
those types of things. And then I'm also on Instagram. So uh, under under Todd Whittem. Uh, I believe it's Todd Whittem or Todd Whittem Tennis. So I'm, I'm easy to find. And then <laughs> you know, if, uh, if you, you know, people can check out my website, TWTennis.com. Very, very simple. So it's... Okay. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and, uh, I'm not shy about what these kids are doing on a, on a daily basis. You know, people people are seeing what they're what they're doing and the type of training they're going through. And uh, you know, to me, it's 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 really what 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 the kids in this country should be doing. They need to be working this hard, and if they want to be achieving their lofty goals. Well, thanks again, and uh, we'll be in touch. We appreciate you being on. Yep, Absolutely. thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Right, thank you very much, guys. Thank you.